Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. The poverty inoculation. So first of all, what is a spirit of poverty? Well, by definition, to be impoverished, to be in poverty, means to not have enough, right? That's what it means. It's by definition. It means to be in a constant state of not having enough. And again, you can be very, very rich and have lots and lots of things and have a constant state of feeling like you don't have enough. It's not about the, the, the balance in your checking account. It is a condition of the heart. I've known, there's a, a man in my family, a distant relative, I didn't, didn't know him super well, but I remember being young and hearing the story. You know, he lived this very, very, very frugal life, never took a vacation his entire life, uh, lived in a, in a very, uh, you know, small, meager home, and, uh, and then we f- he died and, and found out he had millions and millions of dollars, and he was so terrified of something bad happening that he was saving up for a rainy day, and it never rained. And so instead of using that money to bless others, to create memories with his kids and his family, he just, hor- that's a spirit of poverty. Even though he was wealthy, he had a spirit of poverty acting on his life. Now, the lie of the enemy is that if I just get whatever, fill in the blank. It could be anything. It could be, if I just get that promotion, if I just get that raise, if I just get that bonus, if I just get that house, if I can just get this out from under this credit card, if I can just, whatever it is, if I can just, then it'll all be okay. And that's the lie the devil uses to keep you in the rat race because I'm just telling you from experience, you'll get there. And then there's something else. And that is an active spirit of poverty, that it's never enough. It's never enough. So what does it, and listen, I want you guys to know this morning that I am speaking with some serious authority on this subject because I came to this church an absolute mess. Broke, disaster, uh, there is a spirit of poverty that has been in my family for years and years. Uh, The biggest vacation I ever went on in my entire life was we drove from Dallas, Texas down to San Antonio, Texas and went to SeaWorld and that was just like, oh my gosh, we are high rollers, baby. We sat in the splash zone, I couldn't even believe it. And that's a, a spirit that I've had to overcome. And when I came to this church, I can't even tell you. I mean, literally, people would get up and start talking about money, and I would start to, like, twitch. I would just, in my seat, just <laughs> grumble, 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 just grumbling about everything. And I want you to know, in 10 years of being at this church, and Katie and I have seen, like, miracles, I had a, uh, a autoimmune illness called Epstein-Barr virus and super painful and, and I, I, in a worship service, was radically in an instant healed. 
and have seen miracle after miracle. And I will tell you that the greatest miracle I believe that, that I have experienced at this church is the shift that has happened in my life about the way I think about and interact with money. I think that's the biggest miracle that I have experienced. So I'm telling you that I'm, I'm speaking on this subject from personal experience, okay? Spirit of poverty. So what does it look like? What, what, is it, what, what are the actual manifestations of a, of, a, of a poverty mindset, of a spirit of poverty, of lack? Well, let me tell you. First one is that you are always constantly worried about the next chunk of provision. And it doesn't matter if your, you know, salary is $50,000 or $500,000, there's still this constant worry. And you, you, you'll, your language will locate you. You know, you'll say things like, oh, you know, money just doesn't grow on trees. We've got to speed it, right? It, it, you'll say things like, um, like, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We've got to save up for a rainy day. And even think about that. Even the language, and listen, saving money is a great thing. Like, that's wise. The Bible even talks about storing up um, grain in your barns for when there is a famine. But listen to the language. I'm saving up for a rainy day. It presupposes that something bad is coming. Instead of saying, I'm saving up so I can do something awesome, so that I can make some memories, so that I can bless somebody else, so that I can see the kingdom advance, I'm saving up for a rainy day in expectation that something bad is going to happen to me. In English, we have an expression. We don't really use it a lot anymore, but you say, um, anybody ever heard, the other shoe is about to drop? Anybody heard that? All the Mexicans are like, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I literally asked around to a couple friends if there was a Spanish equivalent and got nothing. So, okay. Anyway, what it means is you know, in, in kind of downtown, like big city Manhattan living where you've just got these little tiny apartments and bedroom on top of bedroom on top of bedroom, when your neighbor that lived above you would come home and you would hear them kick off one of their shoes and hear it hit the ground, then you knew inevitably that the other shoe was about to drop, right? Because they kick off both their shoes. And the, what the expression means is it's inevitable, it can't be this good forever. Something bad is about to happen. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's poverty language. People say it's, you know, oh, it's, it's too good to be true. Listen to how awful that is. It, it's a worldview that bad things must happen to me. It's a spirit of poverty. It's a mindset. It doesn't matter what you have, your your wealth, your possessions. It's a state of the heart. Constantly worried about provision. Another big one is the inability to celebrate other people's victories. So someone gets up here and talks about their miracle house story or some check in the mail. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. We sold into vision builders and then we got a check in the mail for like $35,000. And you're just like. And you know, on the outside, you're like, yay. So happy for you. And on the inside, you're just like. Yeah. And that used to be me. I used to be, I got invited to be a part of um, a, a prayer group with a bunch of the men of this church, the really successful business people of this 
campus. And Pastor Rudy was there, and Chris Aguilar, and Pastor Marco, and uh, a bunch of guys. And, and every day, we'd, and this was years and years ago when I was still just very much just trying to get on my feet financially, had just graduated from school. And, and I remember just showing up, and they would, like, every day that we prayed together, it was just like, oh, yeah, it was so crazy, man. I just needed, like, $100,000 in cash flow, and then, like, boom, it just, like, fell out of the sky. I can't even believe it. And then, you know, I'm just, like, facing discouragement after discouragement after, and I just was, like, it was so, honestly, it was hard to be around. It was hard to be around. So much so that I wanted to quit the group. Then I realized Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder, reminded me, hey, you prayed for this. And I remember I actually, at a Pathfinder's night, I literally prayed, Lord, will you put me around people that are more successful than me so I can learn from them? But then I couldn't even handle it, being so discouraged, seeing, because there was something sick inside of me. There was a poverty spirit that prevented me from being able to celebrate. And then and I'm just going to, I'm throwing myself under the bus here, okay? Just transparent moment with, with Pastor Mike. I would... Then what I would do, of course not out loud, but in my mind and my heart, I would argue with God about why I'm more blessable than the other person. So Rudy would, you know, whatever with his business breakthrough, and then I would just like argue with God. I'm like, I'm at church more than Rudy. I'm serving more than Rudy. What's the deal, God? Come on. And I would argue with God about why he was blessing somebody else instead of me, but it was because I was, I had a victim mindset. I was in, engulfed and engrossed in a poverty mentality. Last one is you'll find that a poverty spirit will keep you addicted to comfort, safety, and security. Comfort, safety, and security. And, and it, it makes you view the world through a lens of a zero-sum game. Zero-sum game is a, it's a mathematical principle in, in like gaming theory where if there's going to be one winner, then there has to be one loser. So an example of a zero-sum game would be checkers. If we play checkers and you beat me, then I'm negative one, you're positive one, equals zero. That's a zero-sum game. For every winner, there must be one loser. People see the world that way, and they think if I'm going to give a dollar here, then it's one less dollar I have for over there. If I'm going to give an hour of my time to the church, then that's one less hour of time I have for something else. It's, it's a, and I want you to just think about how actually limiting that is, that all that God has to work with is these 24 hours in the day, or this X thousand dollars in my bank account, or whatever it is. And if one goes there, God is incapable of multiplying. And it's actually an incredibly limiting mindset. And what we have actually found is that God is the God of multiplication. And we've found that the, the I mean, it, it, it is actually supernatural. The more that we give of ourselves, a zero-sum game would say, if I give energy to building the house of God, to serving the house of God, to, then I will have less energy when I leave here. I guarantee you tonight I'm going to be buzzing. I've, I, I will have poured myself out, and the zero-sum game thinking would be that tonight I'm going to be tired because we served the church today. We gave energy to the church today. But what you will find is that God is the God of multiplication. The Bible says that he who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. 
That is a spirit of the kingdom, which is in direct opposition to a spirit of poverty. So that's what a, a poverty spirit actually looks like, constantly worried about where the next, next thing is coming from, unable to celebrate other people's victories, and obsessed with comfort and security and safety. Now, it should go without saying, but a spirit of poverty is in complete disalignment from the spirit of the kingdom. And I want to read a psalm to you. It's written by King David, Psalm 65, um, verses 9 through 13. It's going to be on the screen, but I want you to just listen to the language of King David and listen to how different this sounds than what I just described. King David says in Psalm 65, verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. Listen to what King David says. He says, when I look out at the world, you know what I see? I see opportunity everywhere. I see hillsides covered with cattle, with flocks, with sheep for provision. When I look at the valley, I see a great harvest, grain everywhere. How different is, is that than when I look at the world, I see if I'm going to have something, then somebody else can't have something. It's a zero-sum game. This is the language of the kingdom. When I look out at the world, I see abundance. I see prosperity. I see blessing. I see valleys filled with provision. That is the spirit of the kingdom. So, I want you to come with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. We're going to look at a, a kind of a strange story and do just a couple minutes of kind of some deep Bible teaching here. Numbers 21. And uh, this, I want, we're going to read this story through the lens of how to break a spirit of poverty. Okay? So, Numbers 21, starting in verse 4. Let me, let me actually set it up really quick. So, um, Israelites have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Moses, you know, let my people go. Ten plagues. Get out of Egypt. Get up to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They get to the other side. Now, they're on their way to a, a land that has been promised to them where they can be a nation and, um, and have this, this, this actual physical territory that belongs to them. They're, it's a very short journey, but God takes them a really, really long roundabout way. It took them 40 years to get to the promised land because God had to deal with a poverty mindset. They were actually not ready to handle and support the weight of the blessing that God had for them. So a very, very short journey actually took 40 years. And so this is a story that happens while they're in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4. And it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Ow, I just got a cramp. Ow. Ow all right, I'm good. Sorry. <laughs> the devil trying to keep me from reading the word. Stop it. 
Verse 5, here we go. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, uh, among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at it, uh, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. That's a weird story. There's a, there's a million different ways that God could have solved that problem. Got people getting bit by snakes. God is supernatural, can do whatever he wants. God could have just blinked and all the fangs of the snakes could have snapped off. Problem solved. He could have made it to where anytime they got bit, they just kind of had immunity from the poison. He could have made the snakes go away. He could have made the children of Israel float six inches off the ground so the snakes couldn't reach him. I mean, there's a million ways that God could have solved this problem. But he makes Moses cast a bronze serpent, put it on a stick, and raise it up for people to look at. That's weird. Why would God do it that way? We're going to get there in just a second. And it's very intentional. But first, I want to look at the attitude of the children of Israel at this point. So look back at verse 5. And it says, and the people spoke against God and Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. There is no food and no water, and we hate this bread. There's food. You just don't like the provision that you're getting from God. We have no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless bread. And it's, I mean, you think about, I mean, it is, you know, you, you can kind of read the story and think like, man, God, that's pretty mean. I mean, fiery serpents to come and bite people. I want you to think about what they just said. We loathe this worthless bread. Do you know what bread they're talking about? Manna, a supernatural provision from God floating down from the sky, and they're saying we loathe, which means to hate with an absolute passion, this worthless bread. Oh, man. If I was God, it would have been serpents and tigers that breathe fire. I feel like God's actually pretty nice just sending some snakes. I mean, how wicked we loathe this worthless bread. And then if you actually look back at when the manna came, it's interesting how it's the exact same thing. I want you to come uh, look at Exodus 16, verse 3. This is when um, they're out of Egypt and don't have the manna yet. And so they whine and complain again. It says, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So then God, in response to their complaining, gives them manna from heaven. But I want you to listen to what they said. This is, this is back in Exodus. It's a cycle that just repeats. It's never enough. It's a spirit of poverty. They say, oh, that you would have left us in Egypt 
where our bellies were full. So you would rather be a slave, be oppressed by a tyrannical, like, wicked ruler and not be hungry? I don't know about you, but I would rather be free and have to deal with some hunger pangs every now and again. I would rather live a life that is unoppressed and be a little hungry from time to time. But it's a spirit of poverty obsessed with comfort, with safety, and security. Not willing to believe God for something, but to say, I would rather have slavery and have some bread in my belly. So we see this never enough mentality. God gives them the manna, then they loathe this worthless bread. We see them... Um, obsessed with, with safety and security. Oh, we would just rather be back in Egypt. We also see them unable to celebrate those who God is elevating. God has put Moses over, over them, and they're grumbling about Moses and how terrible of a leader he is, and oh, if he would have just left us in Egypt. It's, it's all of the signs of a spirit of poverty working in this nation. And so God has to deal with it. And so what does God do. It's interesting because if you look back at verse 7, the people, you know, they're getting bit by snakes, and it's not good. And so they're like, I don't, I don't, we don't like this anymore. So then they, they kind of come to their senses. and They're like, we, we, let's pray. Let's do something. So they go to Moses. And in verse 7, it says, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Here's what they didn't pray, which is how they should have prayed. Lord, search us. What is it in us that is bringing this on us? Lord, make us into a nation that will make you proud that we can walk into this promised land. They prayed, Lord, take away the snakes. The snakes were a result of their complaining victimhood attitude. And instead of saying, Lord, heal this victim mentality in me, they just want God to take away the consequences. Just take away the snakes. God does not do that. He says, nope, I'm not going to do that. Snakes are still going to be there. They're actually still going to bite you. But when you look at this snake, the serpent up on a staff, then you'll be healed. But it's interesting, again, God says that once you are bitten, if you look at the serpent on the staff, then you will be healed. God didn't even protect them from being bitten by the snakes. They still had to be bit. God does not helicopter parent us. Most people don't want God the Father. They want God the Grandfather. They want the God that's going to give them sweets whenever they want, never discipline them. There is nobody on earth that is harder on Zeke Bravery Yeager, my son, than me. Nobody. And I'm not too hard on him. I know as a father when to, when to push and when to... But there's nobody on earth, literally not one other person on earth that's harder on him than me. Because it's my job as a father to prepare him for this life. And you know, you like, you know, you, you got little kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like a, a grown-up will say, hey, Zeke, how you doing, buddy? And he'll just kind of, and, I, and I'll look at him and say, Zeke, hey, so-and-so just said hi to you. What are you going to say back? And then, you know, the, they'll say, oh, don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, I am going to worry about it. Boy, you better look that person in the eye and tell him hi back. 
And other people, you know, just there, there's nobody harder on your kids than you as their parent. And again, I'm not talking in a weird, sadistic, oppressive way. I just mean as a good, responsible parent. And God does not, as a responsible parent, just take the serpents away. He tells Moses to make a bronze image of a snake, put it on a stick, and raise it up. That's so weird. That's very weird. Now, we know, this was written about 3,500 years ago. We know now, in 2020, that a very effective method in psychotherapy, uh, like clinically proven to heal people from irrational fears is something that's called voluntary exposure therapy. Meaning if you're scared of heights, the best way to deal with your fear of heights is to go someplace high. Now it has to be, it's voluntary exposure therapy. If Chris Brown is scared of heights and I just take him up to the top of the Empire State Building and hold him over and be like, stop being scared, that will produce more trauma and will not help. It's voluntary exposure therapy. And so if, if there's somebody who is, um, you know, afraid of spiders or afraid of snakes, they'll, they'll get like a, a non-poisonous snake and, and actually have the person hold it. It's voluntary exposure therapy. And it is clinically proven, evidence-based, that it heals people of their irrational fears. We know that now, 3,500 years ago, when the children of Israel were plagued by fiery serpents, the solution that God provided was I want you to stare at what you're afraid of. I want you to look right at what is tormenting you. It's 3,500 year old voluntary exposure therapy because God doesn't want to just remove the danger from you, to remove the fear from you. He wants you to face the fear and heal through the fear so that what you are afraid of no longer has power over you, but you have power over it. And so God tells them, look at the serpent, stare at what you're afraid of, and then it will be my power that heals you. It still required God. It wasn't them in their own strength pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, and it required a supernatural miracle of God, but it also demanded their participation. God did not heal them unless they looked at what they were afraid of. And I wonder how many people were, were bit by a snake and were just so terrified, just couldn't, couldn't bring themselves to look at this thing because of the trauma, because of whatever, and missed out on the power of God because they were afraid to stare at what they were afraid of. If you have a poverty spirit, a poverty mindset, constantly feeling like there's a headwind coming at you and you can just never get ahead and, and, and you know, something bad's going to happen and, and God is not going to, and you pray, God, I want you to take this away. I'm, I'm just telling you, God is not going to just give you money. That would be God taking away the snakes. He's not going to do that. That's not good for you. He's going to make you stare right at it. And you know what it means to stare at a poverty mentality? It means to give. It means to give and to put yourself in a position where you need the supernatural blessing of God, where you need God to show up and move in your life.
when Katie and I first moved to uh, San Diego, a lot of you guys know the, the story. We moved out. Listen, I didn't go to professional pastor school. I had no intention on ever being a pastor. I came out here to go to graduate school as an engineer. And uh, we moved out here so that I could do my, my PhD at UC San Diego. And um, I was making um, a sizable $500 a month salary as a teaching assistant. Just baller status. I'm sure you guys can appreciate that $500 does not go very far here in Southern California, much to my surprise. Katie was working at a small startup company, and we made, together as a, as a young married couple, $3,000 a month. And I remember sitting down at, you know, having a little family meeting, and it was just us and Katie and our dog. And we sat down at our tiny little Ikea table. It was about this big, you know, like I was right here, and Katie was right here, and we had a little meeting on our finances, and I remember just like, Katie, if we can just get to $3,500 a month, we're set for life. Everything will change. And of course we did, and it was, you know, th because that's, we had a spirit of poverty working against us. And I'll never forget what it was like when we first started to give to this church. And I used to, and again, I'm just, this is me throwing myself under the bus. I used to be so, I'm just so embarrassed. I used to say things like, well, you know, I mean, tithing and all that, that's Old Testament stuff. You know, we're under grace now, new covenant. Thought I was so righteous and knew theology so well. And, and I would say, this is what I would say. I would say, but, you know, if you're really walking with the Holy Spirit, then he'll put it on your heart and you'll end up giving more than 10% anyway. I want you to guess how much money I gave to the church during that period of my life. Zero dollars. Not one. How wicked. And I'm ashamed that that, that, that that was a spirit of poverty that gripped me and I was a, a swamp. You know what a swamp is? A swamp is a body of water that has an inlet but no outlet. And guess what? Swamps are filled with disease and stagnant water. They're disgusting. They have mosquitoes everywhere. Lakes have rivers that feed them and rivers that are outlets. And lakes are filled with life, with fish. People enjoy them. You don't, you don't go wakeboarding on a swamp. You go wakeboarding at a lake. It provides enjoyment for people. I, we were swamps that would just receive but would never give. And it wasn't until we began to, to stare at what we were afraid of and sow into vision builders, to be committed to being generous people. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not telling you this to impress you, or I just want you to know that as your pastor, I'm in it too. I'm not in full-time ministry. I'm a businessman. I have an engineering consultancy. I have another company that I operate. And this last year, in, in vision builders and tithes and offerings, like the total money that we gave to this church is about four times more than we used to make when we first moved to San Diego. Every year, Katie and I are in the top five givers of this campus. And I tell you that not to impress you. I just want you to know that I'm, we practice what we preach. I am shamelessly committed to these principles 
And I have, we have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. I remember a couple years ago, we were building a house in Eastlake. And it's pretty crazy when you build a house. They just assume that when the house is done, you're going to have the money. And so we're building this house, and I'm watching the roof go on and watching frame it. And then, then it kind of gets to the point where like, hey, we would like the down payment now. And I was like, oh, sorry, I don't, I don't have that. And it was, and I remember we, we were doing everything we could to just scrape the money together for this down payment. And then we realized that we were, we had $5,000 left on a vision builders commitment from a couple years ago. And I mean, it was the, in the natural, it was the worst thing we could do to give that money away. We, like we needed every penny to have any chance at making this down payment. But we knew that God had spoken to us. And so we finished our vision builders commitment and then instantly, Business opportunities were unlocked to me. Our income like tripled in the few months leading up to getting that house. We were able to close on the house like comfortably. We're able to furnish the entire home. And, and then this last year, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, you know, maybe it's just me, but it, it's, you know, we'll make a big commitment that, that we have to stretch for. That's hard. It's not easy. And every year it seems like God would do this radical miracle, like right at the, the 11th hour, like, praise God, we made it. And, and I remember last year God spoke to me that said, the greatest miracle for you would be to get to the end of the year and you not need a miracle. Like, if you just steward your money well, you won't need me to show up and bail you out at the last minute. And so this year we paid our vision builders off, I think about six months early. And I'm just so excited for this year. Now the crazy thing is, I'm just telling you, this happens to us every year. When we fulfilled our pledge, I got a phone call from a friend who um, I had done some work with, one of the most talented software developers I know. And uh, just making conversation with him and, um, you know, hey, what are you up to these days? Oh, I just, I was um, part of a company, got acquired by Microsoft, and I'm just kind of looking for what's next. And ended up, long story short, this guy actually joined my company as a partner and brought, I, I, like, significant value to my engineering business. And so it's, God has blessed us financially, you know, with divine partnerships in our marriage, our relationship with, with the friends around us. I can't even, it's, it is immeasurable what has happened when we have adopted this kingdom mentality. And we can say like King David in, in Psalm 65, when we look around, when I look at the world, I see opportunity. I see the favor and abundance and blessing of God. Do you know why King David could say that? Why could King David write a psalm like Psalm 65? That's because he stared in the face and broke a spirit of poverty over his nation, over himself. In 2 Samuel 24, God speaks to him and says, I want you to go and buy this piece of land. It was a threshing floor and it had a lot of significance for, for the people of God. And, and God speaks to David and says, I want you to go buy this threshing floor. And so David says, okay. And he goes to the owner of the threshing floor. And, you know, the owner of the threshing floor, he's like, the king has just visited him. So he's just like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that you, that you would grace me with, with being here. Like whatever, I, I'll write the, I'll just sign the deed over to you right now. I'll just give it to you. And King David says, no way. I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. King David stared in the face of a poverty spirit, broke it over his life and over the nation of Israel. 
and then could write something like Psalm 65 that says, you crown the year with goodness. Your paths drip with abundance. I'm going to close with this trick question. What is the capacity of a five-gallon bucket? Five gallons. Very good. Yes, that's the capacity of a five-gallon bucket. It can hold five gallons. Now, imagine you fill that five-gallon bucket up to the very, very tip top, like right to the brim with water. How many gallons of water are in the bucket? Five gallons. Very good. Then what if you just keep the hose going? And so now there's just water spilling over the edges of the bucket. How many gallons of water are in the bucket? Five gallons. To the bucket, it doesn't matter if you have just enough for you or if you're overflowing. Because you overflowing is not about you. It's about those around you. That's why King David in Psalm 23 can say, my cup overflows. He didn't say, my cup is filled to the very, very tip top and I'm happy and satisfied. He said, my cup overflows because I'm blessed to be a blessing. The promise that God gave to Abraham, and you may say, well, that's Old Testament, okay, we're, we're on the Jesus side now. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Go to Galatians, and Paul in the New Testament says, you are an heir to the promise of Abraham. You, me, if you're in here and you're a Christian, you are an heir to the promise of Abraham, and the promise to Abraham was that you are blessed to be a blessing, that through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Vision builders is the mechanism, the conduit for you to step into that anointing, that calling. You're blessed to be a blessing, to not be a swamp that just takes, but to have an outlet to give. And I'm telling you, it will unlock the power of God over your life. And so, as we close, we're going to um, take some time to give you guys an opportunity to pray about how God would have you participate in Vision Builders this year. So you have your pledge card, and if you're with your spouse or by yourself or whatever, we're, we're going to leave a little bit of time, closing the service a little bit early, to just give you space to pray and seek God. The worship team is going to play a little bit. And then here in a second, we're going to have um, some baskets up here at the front, and we're going to have our ministry team up here. And what we want you to do is after you've prayerfully considered how God would have you sow this year, going to have you actually walk forward, drop that card in a bucket, and someone from our team is going to pray with you. We want to, to seal that commitment with you, that God is going to do the supernatural, the miraculous. He's going to unlock things over your business, over your life. And just really practically to walk you through what this looks like. Let's say that... Uh, you know, you feel that you're going to make a $5,000 commitment this year to Vision Builders. We want to give you an opportunity to actually give a first fruits offering today. God, the Bible says that, that God will bless the seed in the ground. He does, God can't bless the seed you intend to sow. He blesses the seed you do sow. And so let's say that you make a $5,000 Vision Builders commitment this year and want to give a first fruits offering today of $500. Then $4,500 over the next 12 months divided by 12 is $375. And you just make that commitment every single month above and beyond your tithes and offerings. And maybe for you, $5,000 is like, there's, there's no way. There's a young man in our church named Axel Chilaka who I have deep respect for. Um, and I remember he started giving to Vision Builders when he was 14 years old. Didn't even have a job. And he made a $240 commitment. 
and just said, as a 14-year-old with no job, I'm going to use my allowance money, my birthday money, and I'm going to pay $20 every month. And as a 14-year-old, fulfilled his vision builder's commitment. And this year, and I asked his permission, he said I could share this. This year, as a 21-year-old, he just fulfilled a $7,000 vision builder's commitment. And to see the faithfulness, little by little, and so maybe, listen, it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. Maybe for you, $5,000 is not a stretch at all. Then pray about what is a stretch. When Moses was standing on the edge of the Red Sea, a million people standing behind him, looking at him, saying, what do we do now? The Egyptian army thundering towards him, feeling the, the tremors under his feet, the sand shaking as the horsemen and the chariots and the infantry were closing down on him. No, no way to go forward, no way to go back. And in desperation, cries out to God and says, what do, we, what do I do? And God says, what do you have in your hand? He has his staff. And God says to him, stretch out your hand. The Bible says in Exodus 14 that as Moses, listen very closely to the language, as Moses stretched out his staff, God caused the waters of the Red Sea to fold back on themselves. It was God that did the miracle. God parted the Red Sea, not Moses, but it required Moses' participation and it required him to stretch with what was in his hand. Stretch out your hand. And God parted the Red Sea and delivered the children of Israel. What's in your hand that you're going to stretch with this year as we believe God for breakthrough in our world, believe God for breakthrough here in the south region of San Diego, that God has given us the responsibility to steward. And so what I'd love for you to do is, is fill that card out. Take a couple minutes. Like I said, the worship team is going to play, uh, play, spend some time just singing and worship. Fill that card out when you're ready. And then we actually want you to, I'm going to go ahead and invite the, uh, let's go ahead and hop to our feet actually. Go ahead and ask the ministry team to come on down. And they're going to be lined up down here. And once you get a chance to fill out your card and you're ready, we want you to actually make your way down and have someone from our team pray with you and, and agree with you for God's blessing and his favor. And maybe you um, went to Vision Builders Dinner or maybe you've already uh, pledged online. That's amazing. Would actually still love you just to write on the card, you know, I pledged online, I already pledged, and actually come forward so you can have somebody pray for you. So the team's gonna um, just begin to play. I'm gonna pray and then we'll uh, dismiss the service, but invite you to fill out your cards and come on down. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the south region of San Diego. God, even on the heels of this monumentous victory in the kingdom, this political victory of, of overturning such a, a wicked law, that we are actually seeing the fruits of tangible change because of the prayers of the church, because of the resource of the church. And God, we want more, we want more. We want to see San Diego and California flipped upside down for the kingdom. God, we pray for revival where people would say that there's something bizarre happening in, in San Diego. That I, I just, I prophesy newscasts. They say there's something bizarre happening in San Diego where the divorce rate is over twice less than it is in every other city in the United States where the, the levels of anxiety among teenagers is, is lower in San Diego than anywhere else. God, we pray that this city is just like you said, Jesus, is a city set on a hill for all to see. 
God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing through this church. But God, I prophesy right now over every family represented here, your favor, your blessing, that this is going to be the greatest year. I pray supernatural, creative miracles in ways that we can't, we could never even have thought up for ourselves. God, that there would be great breakthrough. There's going to be stories at the end of this Vision Builders year that are baffling, that are going to confound people. People are going to say, how can this be? How could it have happened like that? And we will just point to you and say, only God, only in the kingdom where his paths drip with abundance could this be our story. God, I pray for favor. I pray for increase over every family as we commit to build your house, to sow into your kingdom. We pray it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.